On this second Sunday of Lent, we come to the second phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to have our scripture reading now, and we're going to start with what I think is the passage that was written centuries before Jesus came that becomes the foundation for this phrase, hallowed be thy name. So today we will be beginning with Exodus 33, verse 12, reading through 34, 7. Let's stand because we're going to be hearing our Father's word. Moses said to the Lord, you have said, I know your name, I know all about you, and I am pleased with you. Lord, if you are pleased with me, teach me more about yourself, then I can know you, and I can know how to please you. The Lord said to Moses, I will do exactly what you have asked. I am pleased with you, and I know your name. I know all about you. Moses said, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you, and I will announce my name, the Lord, in front of you. The Lord continued, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in an opening in the rock, I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand. You will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Be ready in the morning. Then come up on Mount Sinai. Meet with me there on the top of the mountain. No one must come with you. No one must be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds must be allowed to eat grass in front of the mountain. So, early in the morning, he went to Mount Sinai. Then the Lord came down in a cloud. He stood there with Moses and announced his name, the Lord. As he passed in front of Moses, he called out his name. He said, I am the Lord, the Lord. I am the God who is tender and kind. I am gracious. I am slow to get angry. I am faithful and full of love. I continue to show my love to thousands of people. I forgive those who do evil. I forgive those who refuse to obey me. And I forgive those who sin. But... I do not let guilty people go without punishing evil. Then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I found that the way we know somebody or view somebody often um, changes the way we talk with them, engage with them. Do you know what I'm talking about there? I better give you an illustration. Um, I've thought about the way I talk with my grandson, Brooks, who's six years old. I think I have a picture here. And that it's different when I talk with my grandson than the way I talk with the chairman of our church, Jim Howe, who's really my supervisor. So do I have a picture of them up there? Do you you see that? Yeah, and I think they're happy about that. 
I, I think Jim is glad I don't call him dude, and I think Brooks is probably happy I don't talk with him like I do with my chair of the board. Or uh, maybe this is a better illustration for you. Uh, have you ever had a time where you were going to have a meeting with your boss? Uh, the reputation of your boss, the way that you view your boss. I'll tell you, when you know something about that person, it will affect the way you prepare for that meeting, right? And then the way you engage in actually talking to that person. If you're not with me yet, I found a video clip that I think is going to drive this home. It was done uh, in a movie 10 plus years ago. Meryl Streep plays a rather powerful boss named Miranda. And I just want you to watch how everybody got ready for a conversation with her, and then I'll come back. She's on her way. Tell everyone. She's not supposed to be here until nine. Her driver just text message, and her facial is ruptured it is. That I can't even talk about. to confirm the point. No, I'm so sorry, Miranda. I actually did confirm last night. Your incompetence do not interest me. Tell Simone I'm not going to prove that girl that she sent me for the Brazilian layout. I asked for clean, athletic, smiling. She sent me dirty, tired, and paunchy. And RSVP, yes, the Michael Kors party. I want the driver to drop me off at 9.30 and pick me up at 9.45 sharp. Oh, Pastor Mark, I hope you don't do that when I walk in the room. Do you see the point? If you can get this point, that the way we view the other person, their reputation affects the way we talk with that person, I think you'll be able to understand what Jesus gets at when he talks about the way that we talk about God, and especially the phrase that we look at today. Now, again, this Lenten season, we're learning from Jesus about how to talk to God in prayer. Uh, last week, uh, you remember I, I pointed out that we're able to call God our Father in heaven, and I pointed out that we can enter confidently into His presence and even intimately in the way that we talk about Him and to Him. But this week, we come to that very next phrase that follows that, namely, hallowed be your name. I have found that this phrase, hallowed be your name, is the part of the uh, Lord's Prayer that's the most ignored by Bible scholars and Bible teachers. I've been really surprised by that. I have a number of books, and as I've looked at them, they'll follow phrase by phrase by phrase, but this one they either skip or just sort of put it as a part of the earlier phrase or the one that follows it. But I'll tell you, as I've been thinking about it all week, um, it's hit me that this may have the most far-reaching point of all to make about the way we actually pray. And so this, today I look forward to talking with you about it. Because even though we have this privilege of calling God our Father in heaven, Jesus also says when we pray, we pray because we know his name is hallowed. So I think that's where we should start, with those two words, uh, hallowed and name. So let's start with the word hallowed. That is a word that we don't use very often in our common everyday speech, right? And yet it's been interesting for me as I've looked at all the different English translations. Even the ones written in children's Bibles, 
They use that word anyway, hallowed, instead of something like holy be your name or, or sacred be your name. And the reason is we don't have any word that is just a common word for us that actually gets at what the word is that Jesus actually used because that word hallowed spoke of what is of ultimate importance to us. So, so hallowed refers to that person or thing or concern that becomes the supreme focus of your life. It's, it's what is of, whatever is of greatest worth to you. I mean, Jesus used the word only one other place, and that was in Matthew 23, verses 17 and 19, and he used it to talk about the fact that many people hallowed gold. They put gold as the most important thing in their lives. And so think about it this way, how it is, whatever you value the most, whatever you revere, whatever you put at the center of your being, that's what you hallow. So I've got to ask the question, you know, I've got to ask this question, what do you hallow? What is the ultimate concern of your life? What is the, at the center of what you desire? You see, when you pray, and I've written this so you can think about it, when you pray, God, you be hallowed. What, what you're saying, what you're praying is actually this, God, may you be honored and reverenced as the supreme, only perfect, holy and sacred person that you are. May you be seen to be the one above everything else in this world, in my life and in the world. I think the most unmistakable way for you to know what is the true God of your life, God, is to figure out what you hallow. So let's think about that second word, name, the word name. Now, in Western societies like ours, that's what the United States is. Those of you who have just grown up here in the United States, we may be surprised that Jesus talks about the name of God being hallowed rather than God himself being hallowed. And that's because for us, a name is almost just a label that we get. It's a, boy, there's a name I kind of like. I'll name my kid that name. It's somebody who was an actress or, you know, a great athlete or something that we uh, appreciate. But I'll tell you, in the Bible times, it wasn't just a label. It really had something to say about the character or something about the individual who has that name. As I talk about it, are you with me here? Uh, I, I'll, just, I'll take my own name, uh, Gregory. Do you know what that means? It means vigilant, alert, awake. And as, as such, you know, it's not a whole lot different from my family name, Way Bright. See, that's what, what a name uh, <laughs> to try to live up to. But I'll tell you, if you met me one day and I seemed to be rather, you know, drowsy and lethargic and dull, it wouldn't surprise you that my name is Gregory Waybright because for us, it, our name doesn't have anything to say about the way that we really are. But I'll tell you, if you came from another country, if you came from Jesus' day, then I'm telling you, if you bet me, you might say, you've got to change your name. It should be way dull, not, you know, not, not way bright. And in fact, all the way through the Bible, you find people actually changing their names in light of things that were happening to them. Do you know some of those stories? One of them happened to a man named Jacob. I, I'm guessing many of you know that story. Jacob's name means grabber. What a name for a mom to give him. 
Um, and it's because when he was born, he was a twin. He was the second twin to be born. And as he came up out of the womb, uh, he grabbed his older brother's heel. And uh, his, his, his mom's maternal instinct sort of thought, hmm, that second son of mine is a bit of a grabber. And so she called him Jacob. And, and you may know, if you know his story, throughout his life, he became a bit of a cheat, grabbing what didn't belong to him. He lived up to his name. But then one day he had a life-changing experience. Uh, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And in wrestling with him, he would not give up and held on. He, he would strive with him and, and not give up. And so God changed his name to Israel, the one who is ready to strive and stick with God. Or, or, or Abraham, famous Abraham in the Bible. His name was originally Abram, just Abram which means uh, great father. But then after God broke into his life and gave him that promise, you will become the father of many nations, he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes or father of many nations. I mean, all this is to say that when Jesus told us to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, he was saying by name, God, all that you are, Every quality about you that makes up what you are, that is what should be revered. It should, you should be seen in all that you are as the supreme Lord and God of this entire universe. So understanding Jesus' words to us, this is how you should pray. Hallowed be your name. Let me ask you, uh, has God told us what his name is? In, anywhere in God's word? And, and you may know that there are a number of places where different, God gives different names for himself. And each one of them tells us something about his eternal qualities. Like what, you might ask? Some of them you know, El Shaddai, God the Almighty One, nothing greater than he is. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, uh, this meant so much to me this past year, the God who heals. And then throughout the Old Testament, you find many other names. He's, he names himself the maker, the redeemer, the shepherd, the rock, the refuge, the ever-present strength. Now, when God's word says, this is my name, each time it does so, it tells us what God is like. So, kind of like that clip, except with a very different kind of person. <laughs> when you know God's name, you know something about the one you enter into a relationship with. You might even know what you might expect him to do. Now, above all those places that talk about the, the name of God in the Bible, there is one passage that is central to all of the other names. It's the one I read to you earlier. It's in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And in that text, I, I hope you noticed as I read it to you, Moses was basically asking the same question that I'm asking today. He was asking God, what is your name? And by that, he was asking, what are you like? I don't really know you, God. I know you are there. I've been following you, but you know everything about me. And you tell me that, that, that you're pleased with me, but I don't know about you, and I don't even know how to please you. Please tell me your name. And as you heard in that reading, God set up a safe place for Moses to meet with him and make his name known. Let me show you again 
Exodus 34, 6 and 7, just a key text for today, so I want you to look at it carefully, where God came and announced His name. This is what He said. God announced His name. That's exactly what's said. And He said, I am Yahweh. Um, when you read your English Bibles and you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's what it's referring to. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And now he's going to describe who he is. I am the God who is tender and kind. I'm gracious. I'm slow to get angry. Any, any thank you, Lords. I am faithful and full of love. I continue to show my love to thousands of people. I forgive. I forgive those who do evil. I forgive those who refuse to obey me. And I forgive those who sin. But I do not let guilty people go without punishing evil. Now, as you, as you look at that complex of words, uh, I can break them down into two basic characteristics or qualities of God that we really see in Jesus so much. And the first one where you see these words like um, loving and patient and ready to forgive. See, that beautiful side of God that we're so thankful is true. On the other side, His holiness and justice is there too. I'll make sure that evil is punished. Otherwise, there can be no justice if that doesn't take place. Now, I'll tell you this. That passage in Exodus 34 is a passage that was quoted again and again and again throughout the rest of the Bible in all sorts of situations. When they were in a place in their lives or in a place in their nation where they were quite unsure about what was going to happen or how they should approach it or what to do next, they would come back and remember who God is. And I believe it's what Jesus was really referring to when he turns to us and says, this is how you should pray. Hallowed be your name. So if that's true, how does praying hallowed be your name actually change or transform the way you pray? Um, it's a petition, really. Hallowed be your name. The thing that I see is this. It is the petition. Lord, may your name be hallowed in my life. May I know who you are. May I put you first in my life. It precedes everything else that you ask God for. Because just after uh, he says, pray hallowed be your name, just a phrase or two later, he comes with another very personal request. Uh, give us today our daily bread. Now, how do we know that the God who created the universe will even care about the fact that we don't have the, the daily bread? Uh, how can we even imagine that God who, who knows everything and has been throughout all of history actually personally cares about the needs that I have each day of my life. How do we know? Because he's declared his name. It says, I am full of love. I'm tender and compassionate, and I continue to show my love to my people. Because we know his name, and our prayer says, hallowed be your name, we know we can pray for daily bread. Or that after that request comes another one for forgiveness of sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'll tell you, with a holy God, uh, it, we, we might be terrorized where we know I've sinned and I've sinned yet again. Think about it, those times when we, we've sinned the very same sins we had done just the week before and had confessed before and we've engaged in it again. How can we ever imagine that God would do anything but wipe us out that he might forgive us? 
we can know when we've actually pulled back and hallowed his name and seen that as he made his name known three times, he makes sure that we know that he is ready to forgive us when we turn to him in repentance and faith. So when we hallow his name, we know we can ask for bread. When we hallow his name, we can know we can ask for, for forgiveness. Do you see that? Do you see that? Now, how does that affect prayer? Well, here's what I did. I don't, I don't know if you heard, Pastor Jeff was supposed to preach and then he got sick. And so Thursday I started preparing, but I've thought about this thing for so many years, so I kind of share my, my life with you today. <laughs> I went back into the book of Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms was really the prayer book for Jesus. It was a prayer book for the early disciples. It was a prayer book for the, for the early Christians. So I decided I'd just go back through there and find out where did they take that, that episode when God made his name known to Moses and actually put it into their prayers. And I found several of them, so I'll just show you two. Situation one is in Psalm 86, praying for a daily need. It was David who prayed this prayer, and it was in a time of, of huge personal need for him. His opening words in verse 1 of Psalm 86 are this, Hear me, Lord, for I am poor and needy. I'll tell you, you read this thing, and it is clear. He was in a tough place in his life. Bottom line, he needed at least daily bread. <laughs> he needed provisions of all kinds, sustenance for each day. He says, I'm in distress I'm under attack moment by moment. How do you pray in a time like that? You pray like Jesus taught us to pray, and it's what David did. And in that psalm, in the midst of his need of so many daily provisions, he prayed in verse 5. See if you recognize any of the language. You, Lord, are forgiving and good. You are full of love to all who call on you. Do you recognize that language? But then he, like so many of us, when you're in a need and you brought this thing to God in prayer, the next day the need is still there and you're under distress and, and you need to come back to him in prayer. So he comes back to him in prayer. And look how he prays in verse 15. Lord, you are a God who is tender and kind. You are gracious. You are slow to get angry. You are faithful and full of love. In other words, you see it, David prayed, hallowed be your name. He remembered the name of God, and then he said, this is what you are like, God, so here are my needs. I pray that you will meet them. And even though sometimes we must wait and trust and so forth, at the end of the day, do you, do you know how it turned out for him? I don't know how long it took, but if you look at verse 17, you can see his testimony, his last words here in the, in the psalm. You, Lord, you have helped me, have comforted, comforted me. Oh, I didn't know what the situation would be in your life when you came to church today. Uh, I thought maybe there are some who are coming in as deep a need as David was in need. Uh, I wonder if you're in that kind of situation. Maybe you're feeling some of the distress that he felt. And I've just got to tell you, Jesus has something very practical to teach you this season about prayer. He says that when you come to God, take time at the very beginning to remember who God is. Remember his name and then pray. Remember that God loves you. Remember that he knows 
what's going on in your life, and He cares. He's tender. Bring to him your needs to him and pray. May your name be hallowed in this situation, Lord. Father, be true to your name to love and to provide. That's how we should pray. Second situation that I had found is in Psalm 103. It's praying for forgiveness, really, though that may surprise you because Psalm 103 is often used at Thanksgiving season. It's this psalm that is filled with thanksgiving and praise. It begins with, praise the Lord, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. And it ends in a similar way. Praise the Lord. All of your works everywhere should praise you in, in your dominion. Uh, so so um, it's one of those that remembers all the good things God has given and praises him for it. Now, David stops and thinks about, uh, why do we have all these benefits? It must be because I, the king, am so perfect. Do you, do you think that's true? Or, or maybe it's because we, as his Jewish people, we're all so perfect and we're so good that that's why he gives us all these benefits. So here we are, Lake Avenue Church, we're perfect people. We should expect benefit. <laughs> what is amazing to me is this psalm of thanksgiving and praise there's one where David also has to stop and acknowledge his deep need of mercy and of forgiveness. And that in spite of the fact that you and I need ongoing mercy and forgiveness, God is willing to bless and bring benefits. So he remembers this because this is what God is like. He loves to forgive. He loves to bless. So I'm going to show you some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I know I say that every week, but these really are there. Verses 7 through 13, or verses 8 through 13 of Psalm 103. I'll put them up here. Just love them. The Lord is tender and kind. He is gracious. He is slow to get angry. He is full of love. He won't keep bringing charges against us. He won't stay angry forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Anybody like that phrase? Anybody? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't pay us back in keeping with the evil things we've done. He loves those who have respect for him. His love is as high as the heavens and above the, are above the earth. And he has removed our sins from us. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. A good father is tender and kind to his children in the same way the Lord is tender and kind to those who honor him. So today, maybe like David, you know that there are some things in your life that need to be confessed to him, turned away from. How do you begin to pray when you come in, in the midst of a sermon? You say, oh, I remember these things that I did or thought or said this week. Jesus teaches us, begin by remembering the name of God. Which is going to say to you that that evil or that sin is, is serious. Don't ever think otherwise. He said, I won't let it go unpunished. And yet you remember also that he's found a way to punish our sin and declare us right with him. That's what the cross is about. Jesus lived the life we should live but haven't and was willing to bear that. The sin is serious, but the grace is even greater. 
And because of that, I can just get up here today, every Sunday, and declare to you without any reservation, you can leave Lake Avenue Church today with the confidence that your life is absolutely right with God. It's what John wrote about in 1 John, a verse I quote so often to you. If you confess your sins, John said, God will be, essentially says, he will be his name. He will be faithful and he will be just. And he will forgive your sins. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you hallow the name of the Lord, then you know that this promise promises you that when you seek God's cleansing, you will be cleansed. Do you see it? Uh, when you hallow the name of the Lord, you can ask for bread and know that God will provide. You can ask for forgiveness and know that he will cleanse and restore. Changes, changes the way you pray. But last thing, just with the time that we have, how, how, how would you be your name transforms our lives? I want us to think about the word be. We've thought of how would a name be because this is really a petition itself. It's saying, Lord, may your name be seen to be as hallowed, the, the greatest thing in all the world. And may it start in my life, is the way I put it. So I go back to the way I originally said it. What Jesus is saying we should pray is this. God, may you be honored and reverenced as the supreme, only perfect, holy and sacred person that you are. The one to be put above all else in my life and in this world. I'll tell you that. God is not the supreme one in our world, right, in most people's minds. We must pray for that to happen. How does this start? How is it going to happen? And it's clear to me it has to start with you and me. We're his children here on earth. Uh, the Bible says we're his ambassadors. We're his, his representatives. You know that there are so many people who will never come to Lake Avenue Church, Right? <laughs> There, there are so many people who will never open up a Bible, but I bet they'll read your life. I bet they'll read your life. And if you see them loving as God loves and forgiving as God forgives, they'll begin to see something about the hallowedness of the name of our God. It is a call to you and me to love others and to forgive others as God loves us and forgives us. How does he do that? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He loved us before we ever loved him. How does it play out? That's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'll show you at least one quote from Francis Chan uh, in his book, Forgotten God. It says, Jesus calls us to a radical faith, to this loving and forgiving as God does. His call is to love those who have cheated us in business. That's hard, anybody think so? His call is a call to love those who have spread nasty rumors about us. It's to love those who would kill us if they could. It's even a love to, to love those who disagree with us politically. That might be the hardest thing of all in our... I won't say anything more about that. Or, or to love practically and fundamentally. We're to be like that because that is our Father's name. He is like that. He loves and forgives. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and may it begin in me and be seen through me.
and it will be to his glory. Amen. Now let me pray. Father, take this your word. Use it in our lives. Use it to change our prayer lives as Jesus taught us that it should. Use it to change the entirety of our lives. May the names we bear reflect your name to all who see us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, bear with me just a moment. I have one more word I just have to give to you. I'm sure you noticed this last week that Billy Graham died at the age of 99. Uh, those of you who are newer to Lake, you know Lake Avenue Church was deeply involved in Mr. Graham's ministry from almost the very beginning. That, that 1949, was it, crusade here in Los Angeles? We were one of the central churches in that. We still have people here at Lake Avenue Church who were involved in, in that crusade. And later, when he came in the early part of this millennium, uh, we were also deeply involved in that. And, and I wrote on, online that I have also in much of my life been involved with him and his ministries. I paid my way through college often by singing in Billy Graham meetings. I never got to sing the big ones, always, always the small ones. Uh, I learned a great deal about him. I sang with Ralph Bell, his African-American evangelist, and he told me the stories. You know, uh, Mr. Graham refused to preach <clears throat> in segregated communities. And that, that left him heavily criticized when he, when he would minister in the South and then later on when he went into South Africa and into Rhodesia. So he, he stood firm that the gospel is for all people and all people are to be loved. Whereas many religious leaders have lived lives that did not honor God, Billy Graham's, though he was always in the public eye for so many decades, remained faithful to God. And now when I say that, I'm not saying he lived a perfect life. I think he would roll over in his grave if, he, if I said that. I was there in 1974 in Lausanne, Switzerland, uh, when he confessed to the entire global Christian community about his inappropriate, he felt, involvement with politics. He felt like he began to see just one political direction as almost the kingdom of God. And, and he warned us. He first apologized and asked for our forgiveness and said that he would focus on preaching the gospel of Jesus. He would use the Bible to address the issues that politics brings up, but he would never align himself with one ideology and one political line. And I'm sure most of you know how deeply affected I have been by his words and have sought to follow them too. You, you may also remember that he had to ask forgiveness of uh, the Jewish community for some words that he spoke, but he asked for that forgiveness. He received it, and like all of us, he was a man who grew. In fact, I read what Jim Wallace wrote about him. He said, Billy Graham was a man who remained humble because he was willing to change, and he never stopped growing. So because of that, you know, Billy Graham's name was in the Gallup's poll. You know, they have this poll of 10 top most respected people in the world poll. He was in it a record 61 straight times, often at the very top. Um, and I think we can begin to see why he was respected in a world where so many Christian leaders have not been faithful, especially in matters sexual and financial that he was a man who set up ways uh, to be faithful. And in fact, the Wall Street Journal I read this weekend said 
he was scrupulous in his personal and moral life. I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters, I, have, I am praying and pray that that might be true of me as your senior pastor too. I pray it will be true of you and of us as a church. And I think one of the reasons why he was so respected really came out in the last sermon that he preached in New York in his 417th crusade. It was all about the name of God, believe it or not, <laughs> about who God is and a God whose name is both just and loving. And this is what he said. God is the only balm for those who feel hurt or who have failed. So wherever you are, whatever you have done, your holy Father in heaven will always be who he always has been. He hasn't abandoned you, and he never will. And today he only asks you to turn from your sins and to place your faith in him. When you do, he will give you peace.